0: Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all here today on this Sunday morning. Let us prepare our hearts and minds to worship God now as we listen to the prelude. Let's join together now in saying the call to worship that's printed here in the bulletin. Lord Jesus, you came in the love of God, teaching us how we should love each other. Take away our fear and shame so that we may find the will to follow you. Daring to love as you love and prepare to pay the price until we come with you to the fullness of love and share the peace and joy of God forever. in a time of prayer. Loving God, we do thank you for calling us to be here today in the busyness of our lives and the, the ebb and flow of all the things that we are called to do and the, the temptations we have in life also to, to go astray or to go our own way when you call us back to the path that we are to follow. Holy God, you are gracious and loving and forgiving And so we thank you that by your grace, you have invited us lovingly to be here, to hear your word of truth, your word of care, your word of comfort, and of challenge. So open us to your presence this day, in this moment, in this place, with these people, as we enter a time of silent prayer, meet us by your spirit. God's people say it together. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together now the prayer of preparation and confession that's printed here in the bulletin. Awesome and challenging God, hold us close for this moment so that with your support we might look deep within and let your healing light purify our darkness. Only in your grasp can we face our struggles, our frantic pursuit of busyness, in order to cover up our emptiness the ease with which we tolerate the meanness of human society, the acceptance of bottom-line thinking as the final word in decision-making, the fear of differences that keeps us from receiving gifts of others, the hanging on to the lesser when the greater beckons. Holy and disturbing God, keep us close and let us experience your transforming love. Amen. love of God the amazing grace that God grants you in Jesus Christ is given to you today every day of your life so receive it pass on that grace that forgiveness that love that you have received and be at peace
1: amen let's stand and greet those that are around us We welcome you to worship this day. If you're on the inside aisle, if you'll take the pew pad and sign yourself in and pass it on down. If you're visiting, there's a place to give us your contact information there as well. We welcome those people that are watching this worship service live uh, and those later on the website that will be worshiping. If you turn to the color page, this is our highlights of our announcements. There's another two pages of announcements if you want to get into the weeds, Uh, but these are the highlights right here. Uh, Class coming up in November that Dawn is going to teach with a very important topic. What does the Bible mean for three Sundays in November? Two weeks from today is Africa Sunday. Michael Barber has been working on a film which showcases our sister church relationship and uh, the work that we've done over there with uh, the school for the blind and the hospital and those kind of projects. We'll be talking about all of that on the 29th there. Next week, bring your wallet because the kids club is having a lemonade sale and they'll be outside there uh, selling lemonade. Uh, There are three dates for people to find out about information about the church, the come and see meetings. These are times when people who've been visiting the church could come and ask questions, learn a little bit about it, what it means to be a member, and to sign up. We'll be soon bringing in a group of people into the church as new members. So if you are interested, please note those dates that are listed there. The other big news is that this week on Thursday night, Uh, we will be, uh, our family from Afghanistan, the Fosley family will be arriving. It's a father and a mother and five kids. They're coming from Kabul to Oakland, and uh, we're picking them up there and getting them resettled. Uh, One of our biggest needs is for drivers. If you'll notice there on the thing, uh, with five kids, there's going to be a lot of appointments and doctor's appointments and stuff like that. So if you can possibly help out at all to be on a list of potential drivers uh, so that uh, when Chris Money needs somebody, he can give you a call, please, uh, there's a contact information there. There's also a need for English tutors and for grocery shopping as well.
0: I myself am on the list of drivers. In fact, I'll be driving the church van this Thursday as we greet the Fosley family in Oakland. And and I'm going to be available as I can as well to drive the family around. So again, I want to reiterate, it's a great way of of just taking an hour or so, a couple of hours in a a month or a couple of weeks a month to help out. So please do contact Chris uh, about your availability as a driver or anything else you can do. I also am looking forward to the class I'm going to teach in November, and I don't want to overpromise, but I am going to teach you what the Bible means in that class. So <laughs> three weeks. It's going to happen in three weeks. Let's continue now in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come together in worship today to give you thanks and praise for who you are, for who you created us to be. We thank you that you call us together to be your people and for all the good things with which you fill our lives. For it's by your amazing grace that you receive us when we turn to you. You heal us through the power of mercy, forgiveness, and love. And through your spirit, we pray that you'll enable us to show our gratitude by forgiving others as well, in our families, in our workplaces, in our church community and in all of our communities and beyond. God of compassion, we turn to you on behalf of all who may suffer in any way today. They cry out to you day and night. They come to you in pain and distress. They long for a healing touch. So be with them, God of wholeness, for we know that you are with all people You grant to each of us fullness of life since the day we were born, as the psalmist writes. Each morning we can witness the miracles of nature, of the rising sun, and of the turning and changing of seasons. In the faces of loved ones we find friendship and nurture. In our communities you bless us with resources to share. Yet so many of us still need deliverance. Many of us feel swamped by difficulties too hard to bear. So we come to you, God, on behalf of those in need, on behalf of ourselves. As you have saved your people in the past, deliver us today. Grant to all of us the strength that comes from crying out to you, the hope that even when we can't sense your presence, your healing love is at work. We lift up as well those who have been who we've received prayer requests for, those names and circumstances of folks, whether in our community or outside of our community, we have in our prayer box before us here in this sanctuary a list of loving and concerned prayers. So we, we lift them to you, both those that we have uh, written down, those that are in our hearts, and, and even the prayers that we don't know how to say or the right words to use. God bind all of our concerns together in your grace and bring healing to this world and start with us that we might be your hands and feet and loving heart and healing bodies and minds. Give us voices to sing your praise once again that all may know of your abundant grace and mercy. For We pray this in the mighty and merciful name of Jesus who has taught us to pray together with one voice saying, Our Father, who art in heaven,
1: Thank you. It's also great to have the choir back again. Uh, We missed you guys all summer and glad that you're here. Last week, we started a five-part series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. And um, we talked about a little of the background from the book of Acts about his visit there. When Paul went to Ephesus, which is this big seaport, huge town, uh, had the temple of Artemis, giant temple. The stadium was there, the amphitheater, and there was a dust stop. He got in some trouble. Uh, he had been telling everybody that they didn't need to buy the little st- silver statues that the silversmiths were making because he said that they didn't work uh, and that they weren't real gods, and then that threatened the economy there, and so there was a, almost a riot, and he almost got killed. But he survived, and he stayed there two years, and then you fast forward 10 years later. He's in jail in Rome. And he's, just very soon he's going to be executed. His trial's going to come up. And so the last thing that he writes is a letter to these Ephesians, these people in Ephesus that he knew very well. And he writes to them, uh, and he has wonderful, wonderful advice uh, for them. And so we're going to read this, uh, the first 10 verses of chapter 2, which is one of the best summaries, general summaries, of what Christianity is about that you're ever going to find. And you he made alive when you were dead, through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among these we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of body and mind, and so we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind." But God, who was rich in mercy out of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, That is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. Well, Paul doesn't beat around the bush, does he? Starts right in there, the first sentence and says, you're dead. You're dead. You're on the way to nowhere. It's a dead end. Actually, there's three parts of this scripture. There's the bad news, there's the good news, and there's the result. Let's take the bad news first. Paul says that every one of us is a sinner and the wages of sin is death. Now, sinner, I have to say, in in today's world, is kind of a loaded term. I understand that it's looked at in many different ways. In fact, if I were to take a poll, and if we were to say, how many of you here today consider yourselves to be sinners? We would get a lot of people say yes. But I bet you we would get a bunch of people that would say no. I'm not a sinner. I'm I'm a relatively good person. I'm a nice guy. I try to do good things. That would would be their self-image that they would have. So what is it? Well, the word sinner in this text is the word hamartia. And it is an archery term. And it means to shoot an arrow and to miss the target. So anyone who has shot an arrow in their life... And miss the target is a sinner. How many here today have always hit the target in their life? So it's a pretty broad definition, isn't it, of of sinners? Catches everybody pretty much because there's no person who's ever lived perfectly. There's no person who's not blown it, who hasn't missed the target in a whole bunch of different ways in their life. So the change that condition of being a sinner we have to do what's called repent. Repent is a military term which means about face. It means to turn around and go in the other direction. Now in some church traditions this repenting is really really emphasized a lot, probably too much. In the church that I was raised in every worship service and it was a fundamentalist church so we we went on Sunday morning Sunday night and Wednesday night. And it didn't matter what service you were at, at the end of the sermon there, the minister would give the quote invitation. The invitation was to come down during the singing of the last hymn, come down to the front row and meet with the minister and either be saved, which means that you you would be baptized. We kept the the water warm all the time and ready. Um, You'd be baptized, or you would confess your sin and repent and uh, rededicate your life to Christ. And that was more common because most people had already been baptized. So there would be people that would do that over and over and over. You, you never knew what they had done, but you wondered during the service what, what it was all about. Um, Garrison Keillor, in his book, Lake Woebegone Days, tells the story of Larry the Sad Boy, Larry the sad boy was saved 12 times, which is an all-time record in the Lutheran Church. In the Lutheran Church, there is no altar call, no organist playing just as I am, and no minister with shiny hair manipulating the congregation. These are Scandinavian Lutherans, and they repent the same way they sin, discreetly, tastefully, at the right times, and then they bring a jello salad for afterwards. Keeler writes, granted, we're born in original sin and we're worthless and vile, but twelve conversions is just too many. God didn't mean us to feel guilty all our lives. There comes a point where you should dry your tears and join the Building and Grounds Committee and start working on the church roof and make church coffee and be of use. It's not like every time you make a mistake, you have to repent. William Barclay wrote, God is love, sin is a crime not against law but against love sin is not so much breaking god's law as it's breaking god's heart we're dead when we follow the wrong directions in life when we get off on the wrong way the word that we that we use whenever we say the lord's prayer and we come to that little line which says forgive us our debts As we forgive our debtors, and there's some people around you that are saying trespasses, you know, at the same time. Well, that word, which is translated either trespasses or debts, is paraptoma. And it literally means to take the wrong road. To take the wrong road in your life. That's the debts and the trespasses that we have. John Ortberg uh, tells a story in one of his books about when he was renting a car and this is back before the day when everybody had GPS on their phones, and the the car rental person said, asked if he'd like to rent a GPS device for the car. He didn't really want one, but his wife insisted that he get one. He thought it was just another backseat driver telling him what to do. He didn't really want that, but he went ahead and he, he got it, and uh, There's a little voice that comes there, you know, and says, turn left here, turn right, do this. But he just didn't trust the machine, and it seemed like he was getting off track. So he just unplugged her. And then he got hopelessly lost. He was in a new town. He didn't know where he was. So he plugged her back in, and he expected her to say, you think I'm going to help you now? You rejected me. But she didn't say that. She just very quietly said, recalculating route. When safe to do so, make a U-turn. Isn't that great? God lets us make U-turns. When we've gone off on the wrong road, done the wrong thing, and then unplugged ourselves from God, thinking that we know the best way, the minute we plug back in again, God just says very, calculate, very quietly, recalculating route. When safe to do so, make a U-turn. With God, U-turns are allowed. With God, missing the mark is expected. With God, a slip and a fall is just part of the human condition. We're dead by refusing to follow the directions for living that God has given to us. We unplug God's voice because we think we know a better way to live but we don't. One of the things that God has said to us that I don't know if human beings are ever going to, ever going to learn this one lesson because we, we certainly haven't learned it yet. Jesus said that the only way to fight evil is with good, not with more evil. The only way to cure violence is with love, not with more violence. But will we ever get that message? Well, Palestinians and Israelis ever understand that you can't outkill your way out of this problem. Will we in our country ever understand that the solution is not endless wars in Afghanistan or Iraq or Syria. You cannot outkill the problem of terrorism. There's another way Jesus said, and we better start listening to that voice which tries to recalculate our lives. It's important that we understand that and so we come to the good news, which is that we're saved by grace through faith. Beautiful news. The word grace, you know, a lot of Christian terms have become a little archaic and shop worn but not grace. We still have kids that are named grace. Uh, we have the word gracious and graceful, and they're beautiful words that we use all the time. Frederick Beekner's definition is this. Grace is something that you can never get but only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. The crucial eccentricity of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There is nothing you have to do. do. So you can't earn grace. It is given. And it's the good news of this text. You were dead, but now you're not. Why? Because of God's gift of grace to you. You can't manufacture it yourself. I uh, enjoy playing golf, but I'm absolutely terrible because I never play more than once or twice a year, usually at the church tournament or so. But there is something really satisfying when you just hit the ball perfectly perfectly and it goes exactly where you wanted it to go, straight and true. It's it's a lovely experience. But then they kind of ruin the game by the introduction of the concept of par. Par is the number of strokes, usually three, four, or five, that you're supposed to take to get the ball in the hole. It's the number of strokes that you should take to get the ball in the hole. It ruins everything because the only people that can do that are people on TV. <laughs> the guys that play golf on TV, those are the guys that, that are doing, oh, Scott Cale, he gets close once in a while. But, you know, uh, it's, it's really, uh, it, it kind of brings you down because you're just living a subpar life. Everyone knows that. Willie Nelson Solved the problem. He, he built a little golf course on his ranch in Texas, and he decided that the first hole was par 10. <laughs> so when he shoots a nine, he brags about getting a birdie. Doesn't really work that way, though. You can't conjure it up yourself. But the good news is this, actually, that when the judgment day comes, and the Bible talks a lot about the judgment day. There is a judgment day, you know. Someday, we are going to be called to account for our life and how we have lived. That sounds pretty scary, until you know this bit of good news. The New Testament proclaims that at some unforeseeable time in the future, God will ring down the final curtain on history, and there will come a day on which all of our days and all the judgments upon us and all our judgments on each other will themselves be judged. But the judge will be Christ. In other words, the one who judges us most finally will be the one who loves us most fully. That the judge is the one who has already given his life for us, already loves us totally and unconditionally and has given his grace. It's nice to know that that's the courtroom that we turn up in. And then we have the third section. We were dead. We're saved by grace, and now we are privileged to serve. Let me read you the last verse again. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. One of the most profound insights of Christianity is contained in this verse. This is our purpose on earth, this is our goal, this is our mission. We were created for good works. We are created to do good things in this world. We forget this a lot because our society basically tells us that we were created to consume. We were created to consume good food or good cars or nice houses. That's what our life is about. And the, the better stuff that we consume, the more our life is worth. But no, this says that we were created To do exactly what God said to do good works. And you know, whenever you meet someone who is doing what they were created to do, there is an energy, there's a joy, there's a passion when you come across somebody who is doing exactly what they should be doing in life. When you talk to Steve Main about composing music, there's a joy and energy there because it's what he was created to do. When you talk to Don about theology and teaching theology, there's an energy and a passion there because that's what he loves to do. There's a man in our congregation, he was here at the earlier service, named Bruce Wolfe. He's a sculptor. And when I went over to visit him in his studio and he showed me his, his, his sculptures, there's a, a, a passion and an intensity. And he talks about it because he's doing exactly what God created him to do in this world. When Maureen and I and the girls were on vacation years ago in Ireland, we spent the night at a farm bed and breakfast on a sheep farm on the Dingle Peninsula in the western part of Ireland. And uh, after dinner, the owner asked us if we would like to uh, see a demonstration of his sheepdog herding the sheep. And we said, Yeah, yeah, we'd love to do that. And so we went outside. It was glorious because it was the only two hours of the week that it wasn't raining. And and we went outside and he went over to the barn and he opened the door and he got about five of the sheep that are out there. And when this black and white border collie that had just been sleeping on the floor in the house, when that collie saw those sheep, I thought he was going to levitate. He was so excited. He was shaking. He was just so into it and intense and focused. And he started running so fast and moving those sheep around. And the owner had these little whistle calls that he would do. And then they would come back and move them here and do all this kind of stuff. The owner looked at us and said, you know, they were bred for this. They live for this. Everything else in their life is just waiting to get to do this. This is their purpose in life, to boss sheep around. So God made us for good works. That's why it feels good. You know, when you go down, last night we had people feeding at the Hope Cafe. And when Marie and I did it a couple months ago, when you walk away from that evening of feeding homeless people, your heart just feels good. It feels like you did something good. And that's how God made us, that whenever we reach out and do something good for for other people, we are made to feel good because we're doing what we were meant to do. We're doing what God created us to do. That's our job. So we have here this bad news about our condition of being in sin, good news of the salvation, and the result, which is the purpose that God made us for. It's a beautiful thing to be reminded of God's grace and the extravagance of his grace. heard a story about a a young girl who was with her parents and they were in one of those old-fashioned country stores uh, and the parents were shopping. She was waiting patiently and it was one of those ones where they had a big barrel of hard candy there and uh, the owner of the store invited her to reach in for free and to grab a handful of candy but she didn't do it. She just stood there, kind of hesitated so he reached in, grabbed a big handful of candy and gave it to her. And in the car, on the way home, her parents asked her and said, uh, "How come you didn't reach in and get the candy? You're not that shy." She said, "Well, his hands are bigger." <laughs> in Christ we discover how big God's hand is, the biggest hand you can imagine. Which comes down with the biggest, biggest load of grace and hands it to us for us to live our lives with. So God made us to be alive in Christ. How can we ever thank God for such love? Amen.
0: Give thanks together as we say the prayer of thanksgiving together the prayer that is printed here in the bulletin O god we have heard your call beckoning us to a life of love and service here in daily persistent and sometimes courageous ways we offer our lives for your service we ask your blessing upon us and your continued grace to direct our path amen
1: and sisters as you go forth from here remember that you're leaving as representatives and ambassadors of our lord jesus christ so live your life this week in such a way that wherever you are when people see you they'll see christ living in you may the lord bless you and keep you may he make his face shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand amen go in peace